0: You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast, your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a good, uh, good friend joining us, a mentor, if you will, John Paul. How are you doing, sir?
1: Doing awesome, Nick. How you doing, buddy?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. So, you know, you're obviously known for taking Michigan D1 that's that's part of your that's what got you on I think on the cover of inside lacrosse that's what a lot of people know you for how did you end up coaching at Michigan in the first place even at the club level
1: uh I, I fell into it I, I played at Michigan I played club lacrosse I didn't play lacrosse until college actually and um played at Michigan uh and and then and helped coach there was a guy coaching there for off and on for 30 some years before me and and he uh, Bob DiGiovanni and I helped mm-hmm. him here and there uh, but it was a pretty casual gig and then when he left in at the end of 1997 uh, I was just starting a new job I'd just gotten married i just bought a, our first place we just bought a condo in Ann Arbor and um, so I had a lot of things going on in my life and the guys called me at the end of that semester, and said, "Hey, can you come coach and uh, full, you know, be our head coach?" And I told him, one, I had to okay it with Coach Giovanni, which I did. But two, I told him, "I'll be there when I can. I'll be there part time, and I'll probably just be there through this season. And then you guys got to find somebody else." <laughs> and then, you know, a year and a half later, I'm quitting my other regular job, which was in development for the university, and and turning club lacrosse coaching into a full-time gig, which turned out to be the next 20 years of my life, 14 of them for the club team.
0: And so first of all, speaking of club lacrosse in general, Jeff Brunel says, hi, he said that you were very helpful when he started coaching in the MCLA and and helping run Oregon's program. So just, I get some calls sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Had to, had to just put that out there for you. Um, But you know, at least when I was there, I can only speak about the MCLA from like 2005 until like 2011 was kind of like what I understood. Cause that's kind of just when I was in college or, or aware of MCLA lacrosse, but there were club teams and then there were pretty much what we called virtual varsity at Michigan. Right. So what was the major difference between what you were running at Michigan and kind of the, the structure, the organization versus maybe what the average club might've had at the time?
1: Well, I, I so I, I hated comparing us, especially competitively to varsity teams because mm-hmm. People always wanted us to, like, how would you stack up as a D3 team? Right. How would you stack up in D1? We didn't have to compete. We played those teams in scrimmages all the time, both D1 and D3, but there were scrimmages and I didn't really care because we weren't trying to win D3 and D1 championships. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of irrelevant to me. What I wanted to do was build over time the best club program in the country, period. And to me, that meant one that was competing for championships that had that provided a really great and full experience for our players and our alums so like a varsity program was kind of a, a lifetime relationship um, that was run at a, a really high financial and support level that had a lot of the support services that that a really good d1 team might have um, and that was ultimately what i wanted was one that was sustainable financially no matter what so we were on our way to right before we went d1 we were about to break ground on our own $12 million facility for the club team that was about to be built. Uh, and, and then our next step was to build endowment money so that it could be financially self-supported forever. And, you know, that was my goal was that, that we have a program. Kind of, and it's the, the only thing that I could compare it to at the club level was Cal rugby. And, mm-hmm. and they built that, they built the same thing and they did it way before we did. And then eventually they became varsity at Cal but, but there, what they did with that program is very much what I wanted to do with
0: ours. Do you think that your familiar familiarity with the university having worked in development at the university and having been like a lifelong Ann Arbor resident, do you think that all kind of helped you navigate the ins and outs of, of everything to do with the, 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 the university itself? Because I know like a lot of club teams across the country don't have offices at all and here i am and you have a full suite in the in the what the ccr one of the rec buildings yeah Yeah. i mean that came later
1: right and so we it 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 happened step by step i mean when i took the team over we had like a you know twenty thousand dollar budget and 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 we were guys showed up to practice when they wanted to show up and you know it was club it was mcla so we were competing for something but it was very clubby and uh and we changed that over time it didn't happen overnight and part of that was our resources and, and part of it was the expectations of the guys. They both changed over time, but I, I couldn't have changed it all at once. Right. Um, my background helped immensely because I had worked for five years in the athletic department uh, at Michigan at the time. It's not the case anymore, but um, rec sports, which oversaw club sports, was actually overseen by the athletic department. So it was like the redheaded stepchild. People in athletics didn't really care about it. They didn't. But- the fact that they were tied together, created some advantages. And then the fact that I had worked there for five years and knew everybody, I mean, everybody from the facilities guys to the equipment guys, to the administrators. Um, And then I I had been in development on the academic side and my father was a long time professor and then Dean at Michigan. So I grew up around a lot of the senior administration. So I was really comfortable and knew a lot of the the regents and the vice presidents and a lot of the people that could help you. Mm -hmm. And so, no question all of that helped us immensely to to navigate a lot of the hurdles that a lot of club teams and coaches run into when they just you know most people are like no i don't have time to help you
0: and so d1 was obviously at some point it crossed your mind like let's get to the d1 level like let's turn from club to varsity what point did that become real? Was it Dave Brandon coming in? Was it something else that kind of clicked that? What, what kind of pushed no, it over the edge?
1: It was Dave, I was just having this conversation today. Um, we had built the program to a level that we actually, we had almost million a million dollar year budget, including sponsorships and, and money that we were raising. And as I said, we were about to break ground on a very expensive facility. So we, we were doing things better than a lot of division one teams were in terms of finances and support. So we had gotten to a point, and, and a lot of that was our donor network that we had built. And we'd gotten to a point that there was a ton of support for the team, but I never approached, Bill Martin was the AD before mm-hmm. Dave Brannon. I knew Bill well. I coached his son, Mike, in high school, um, and, and I never approached him about varsity. I approached him about certain ways that the department could help us, but not that, because I knew what the answer would be, and I didn't want to alienate him in the little things that I was asking for.
2: Right.
1: So uh, I never did. And it was never really my goal because I thought it was a pipe dream. I didn't think it would ever happen. My goal, as I said, was to build a self-sustained club program that, that was competing for championships. Um, then we got Dave Brandon and we thought, well, if a new AD is coming, we might as well throw a proposal in front of him because he might think differently. So some of our alums helped put it together, a guy named Peter Kraus, um, not the Peter Kraus that played D1 for us, one that played club for us in the last few years. Uh, helped put it, he put a lot of it together, did an amazing job. Dave took a meeting with me, which should have been a pretty good marker, like a week or two into him taking the job, which, you know, I don't think he even met with individually with all his head coaches yet. So, uh, and I went in and gave him this presentation and he he rifled through it and flipped it over his shoulder and said, I want to do this. I was like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you just say? <laughs> he said, I, I already knew I wanted to do this. It's a great presentation, but you got to give me time. Cause I don't know if I can, I just got here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I had to give him, you know, he put some of his people on figuring out what needed to be done and if it was possible. And that took the next, you know, I don't know, seven, eight months before. And I was talking to them and him all the time through that. Um, but it took that time before he was able to come to me and say, all right, you know, we, we, we can do this. So, let's go.
0: So, I mean, yes, you, you built this amazing foundation, but at at some point it doesn't happen without somebody coming in and and having that attitude of like, we want to do it.
1: They're they're, You know, Michigan could have hired a hundred different people to be the AD Mm -hmm. at that time more, right. To be the AD at that time, none of them would have added men's across or women's across probably maybe women's, but probably not. I mean, they, they're, they they would not have. We we got the one who would. And he had no lacrosse ties. He just was all about growth in the department, growing resources, growing programs. He wanted to add more programs in the long term. And he never he didn't get a chance to finish that. But mm. um, but that was what he was about. And lacrosse was the first he saw the growth potential for the sport. He was looking at it more as a businessman. And mm. uh and and he he knew going in that it's something he would really wanted to explore.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think I don't think that that part of the story gets told as often, right? No, people that...
1: assume. I think people one give me way more credit than I should get for this. And and yes, while we built this club program that made it easier to do, um, the two are not necessarily as directly related as people think. Uh, and and it, it was it was really him. And then the fight that it took. And I know you want to get into this later, but the fight that it took to make it actually happen once he decided to do it was a big part of that too. And, and without him digging in and, mm-hmm. and really forcing this, it never would have happened.
0: Awesome. So yeah, we're definitely gonna round back to to D1 expansion in more detail at the end of the show. But Ryan, you had a question I mean, JP over here. yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, so obviously we talked basically everything up to that point. You have that wonderful meeting, you know, you're walking out of there, you're feeling really good, but you said there's all that time, you know, seven, eight months in between that meeting. And, you know, when you finally get the call, what was it like when you finally got that call that, Hey, this is happening. We're making an announcement. Michigan's going to division one. You know, what's, what's kind of, going mean, through your mind there? it and-
1: felt great, but, but remember there was a buildup to this mm-hmm. and, and I knew the hurdles that we had to overcome and they were getting knocked down kind of one mm-hmm. at a time. And there were a last couple. And then they were, and then actually, so when he, when he called and told me, it was also, and we, we also have to raise $5 million before we can pull the trigger. And we didn't need that money. Michigan athletics had plenty of money to run new programs. I think it was more symbolic to say to the university, look, you know, we'll throw this money out here too, to fund the men's and women's programs for the first year or two. And, uh, and, and that was part of it too. It was like, okay, we can do it, but we're not doing it until this money's in. So. Um, I mean, it was good. Uh, Another side of this is I didn't know that I'd get the head coaching job. Mm -hmm. I hadn't had that discussion at that point with him. Um, and it was never, that was never my assumption. Mm -hmm. I I didn't assume it. I knew that there would be a ton, Michigan, there'd be a ton Mm -hmm. of really super qualified people would be interested in that job. And, uh, and I, I just wanted the program to keep kind of moving forward. And so if this was the next logical step for it, then great. And if I could be a part of that, wonderful, if not. I did my job. I'll get out. I'll get out of the way.
0: Mm-hmm. I must, I I remember that happening when I heard about the $5 million thing. I can only imagine that whatever your BlackBerry curve back in the day must have been just dialing up the Rolodex like crazy. Cause I know that you had that, that huge network of donors.
1: We did. Um, and in the great thing about this again, because this was not our project, it was Dave's, it was the athletic department's project. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to raise that money. They did. <laughs> their development office had to raise it i I was there to help i was a big part of that because i knew everybody that they were going to be getting the money from but um but it wasn't on me so we did it in three months
0: i was gonna say i heard a crazy thing like it like within the first couple of weeks there was like half of it was already done yeah
1: so we had we had three major donors that gave seven figures each that obviously got us and that's how finance that's how yeah fundraising works right You, you can get a million people to give a dollar each <laughs> and that's awesome you got a million people and one person can give that same thing so you know you have to find the major gifts and we did we had three anchor gifts that and i think the the, the founders group is what dave called it there were 70 i gave to. there were 72 of us that that donated to that but you know there were three that did most of that and uh but yeah i mean i i tell a story we had <laughs> joe parker who's now the ad at colorado state was the head of development in Michigan at the time. And Joe and I had a trip and we were still MCLA and it was BYU week and BYU at that time, you know, it was us, CSU and BYU were the three powerhouses. And uh, and so that was a huge game that week for us at home. And Joe was like, we got to go to New York. You got to come with me and we got to take, we got to spend two days and we got to do 20 meetings in two days with potential donors for this.
0: And I'm like, it's
1: like a Tuesday, Wednesday of BYU week. And I mean, I was a head coach of a national championship level team. I, I didn't mm-hmm. miss practice. I never mm-hmm. missed practice. I didn't miss practice if I was sick. I just didn't. And, uh, and we took off, went to New York for two days and, and literally did 20 meetings in two days, so like, mm-hmm. you know, midtown office to midtown office, to midtown mm-hmm. office. And, and, uh, got a lot of work done that week and then came back and killed BYU.
2: It's not a bad so week. <laughs> uh,
1: That's not a bad Yeah, b- it's a really good yeah. week. And it also showed me that, uh, team didn't need me around. <laughs> to do to do really well.
0: Well, you had an excellent staff, and it does. It it just speaks volumes to you know the Michigan alumni base, uh, and I'm not even sure that all of them were alumni. I'm sure that many of them were that you you had spoken to. Anywhere, yeah. But uh, it does definitely speak to that. I mean, as as us both being alumni, I am proud to be a part of that. But let's fast forward just a little bit, and so obviously two years ago, you're the head coach of the Atlas in the PLO, I mean, you, I remember like all the links, right. You, we would always scrimmage Johns Hopkins. And so like, I'm sure you knew Paul well before this. And so when, when did it kind of become a thing of you being offered to coach and you accepting to, to do this whole thing? I didn't know Paul well.
1: Um, I, I knew him,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I didn't know him well. I mean, I didn't have his cell phone number or anything. Right. Right. So uh he, uh, he reached out to me the summer before the PLL started the end of that summer or late in that summer. And, uh, and just said, Hey, we're working on a project. I'd like to talk to you about it, but you got to sign an NDA. And, uh, and so, you know, I sure <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. And yeah. and it was the PLL and, um, and they had identified me as potentially one of the, the head coaches and, uh, so that, that was how it started. And I had to keep it completely under wraps. As you know, the PLL is really good at releasing information the way they want to, when they want to. And so that was big for them. And it's really amazing that they, so apparently there were a lot of rumors about the PLL starting,
2: There was, but
1: yeah. And, and I really had only heard some really vague things. I had heard less of those rumors than many, but nothing solid. It's amazing with the number of players that they had already gotten in that, solid information hadn't come out yet so they did a really good job keeping it under wraps considering how many people knew i would agree um, with that i remember yeah.
2: i remember coaching camps the one summer and it was obviously the like same time that you probably going through it and i remember talking to a couple of guys that were ended, ended up they were like "Rabel starting his own pro league and i'm like no nope. oh, do you have any more information? they did and they're like <laughs> they no, wouldn't tell you yeah, yeah, but they wouldn't tell anything and i'm like oh yep. great this is this is awesome this is not gonna happen right and then sure enough it did
1: I mean, it, the leap of faith that guys had to take to uh, to jump into that league, to mm-hmm. leave their their gigs with the MLL and to do it and huge. And and that was Yeoman's work for for over a year before I was involved um, of guys like Kyle Harrison and Schreiber and Paul um, convincing so many of these guys to, to come over. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, that's that's how it happened. And then. Um, they never had like a formal interview process. I think they kind of picked their guys. There were a couple guys they wanted that they couldn't get. Um, but, uh, but they, they ended up with the six of us that, that were the first six and, um, and, uh, and we were all to, you know, we were on some calls and stuff together and then we were all together for the first time that winter in New York for the first, you know, meetings of the, of the group so, and then I didn't find out until Uh, a couple months later that I was going to be coaching Atlas and who was going to be on Atlas. Nobody knew the rosters at that point. Well, Paul did, but um, (laughs) most people didn't know the rosters and, and I didn't know. And it's funny because I took a vacation with my family to Hawaii that February before that first season. And on the way back, we had an overnight in LA. We had an overnight in LA and I, uh, and I let Paul know I was coming through. I was like, you know, let's grab a drink. And, And I was with my family and some friends in LA and he and Hartzell came to have drinks with me and we hung out pretty late that night and uh you know they already knew that i was going to be their coach so it was like them feeling out like is this dude all right is he cool Mm -hmm. and uh, i had no idea they didn't tell me and uh and (laughs) and uh i did ask i was like you know let's have some more wine like you guys gonna tell me what's
0: what's (laughs) going on here have another
1: drink boys and uh and paul was like well the one thing i will tell you is that you're gonna get the biggest challenge (laughs) and i was like oh what does that mean
0: yeah (laughs) I have no idea what
1: that means. So there you go.
0: Now you know exactly what that meant. Uh, (laughs) So um, I'll ask you what your most memorable moment was, but one thing that I have to to guess was very memorable for you was after all of these years, being friends with Chris Colon, finally being like on the same coaching staff for more than maybe, I don't know if it happened at a camp before or anything like that, but actually like, being on a staff together. Cause I know that, that you guys have a rich history together. Yeah, we do. We i have known Chris a long
1: time and, and, you know, I don't have to tell you, he's such a good dude and, and he coaches lacrosse in a different way than a lot of guys do. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a really nice way to put that. Yep. And, yeah. and you know what I do too, and not in the extreme that Chris does, but you know, I, I don't coach it the same way that uh, a lot of the the kind of mainstream coaches do um but chris has his own world the way he does it and and, and you know give him credit he's incredibly successful mm-hmm. at his with the expectations of detroit and his level at doing it there you know i don't know that it would work a lot of other places but it works really well there
0: i can attest to that yeah yeah I, I don't and, think that would work anywhere else
1: yeah but he he's nailed it there and and i think from what i see and, uh, and so, but we grew up, um, his, you know, I, I have the same two seats at Michigan football games, right on the 50 yard line that I've had with my dad since I was a baby and they're my seats now. Uh, and the Colin family set sits right next to us. So, you know, I didn't play lacrosse growing up, so I didn't know him through lacrosse. I knew him through sometimes sitting in those seats together. And then, uh, and then obviously once I got heavily into lacrosse, got to know him better as well. But uh, yeah, pretty neat that um, we were able to, to spend a season together and um, reunited with Jason Lamb on that team as well. Who
0: yeah, uh, BYU
1: guy, yeah, yeah. Who you know we had banged heads for years, yep. uh, and he was the first president of the MCLA. I was the second president. We had coached on a couple of international USA West teams together, which were super successful. So I had a, I had a coaching history with Jason mm-hmm. and an administrative history um, as well. So it was uh, I really enjoyed those the, having those two guys on staff. The three of us being together.
0: Yeah, I mean, not that I don't think anybody was like, who's going to be the next, the, the two assistant coaches, I don't think anybody in the world could have picked Jason, like off the top of your head, if you didn't know you personally and your connections. But once I heard that you had picked him, I was like, Oh, that makes, makes, sense. makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that makes 100% sense. These guys have known each other for years. Funny so, story, though,
1: one of my, um, one of the guys who was going to be one of my assistant coaches uh, uh, was Andy Towers.
0: Okay. <laughs> and uh, and AT, AT and I go back a away. Yep. I
1: love AT. We're, pr- we're pretty tight. And um, and AT uh, and then they somebody couldn't be a head coach in the PLL, and he was their next in line. So they t- they stole him from me to be uh, a head coach. Holy and it's, cow! Know, it's turned out great. He's an he's an. Amazing I love to
0: see AT and Chris on the same coaching staff? It'd be it's, fun. I couldn't oh, think of two more yeah. opposite coaching styles. They're, like you'd be the middle guy and those are the extremes.
1: They're, they're opposites, but, but we, but they also, they have a lot of fun together. And, and so one of the, one of the weird things about the PLL was you spend the whole summer together with all the other teams. So, you know, often all the teams mm-hmm. are in the same hotel because you're all in the same city. Sometimes you split between two, but usually in the same hotel. And so that staff, um, with uh, Ryan and Panetta and and uh and AT and our staff were always like the you know in the bar together like bef- the night before maybe after practices and, and certainly after games. So uh we hung out with them all the time. AT's playing golden tea. I like <laughs> yeah if, if there, was, the one, guy, if there <laughs> was one. If there <laughs> was one that guy's what you have to learn guy. with AT is uh you just have to learn how to defend yourself against the chest bumps. Cause he, you know, the guy's a monster and he comes in really hard. He'll grab you. He pulls you in and gives you this yeah. big forearm chest bump. And if you're not ready, you could die. But you're probably I've getting heard. the <laughs> wind knocked out of you. So heard that's stories. the thing with AT is just getting like preparing yourself for those and having a strategy. Some guy's strategy was to like twist away. Yeah, Mine was you gotta, to attack you embrace it. Like I, dove, I dove into his
2: chest. I've heard stories he about that guy back when he was at Dartmouth, when him and Timmy Mack were coaching together, oh imagine, that, imagine what that office was like.
0: Well, well we, yeah. we we know because Denny he would tell us just yeah. about every yeah, we had, day over we had lunch. Denny and our
1: staff, and and you know he and Denny are very similar. Yeah, and and them together as well.
0: Yeah, he would always Without. reference at and Mac all yeah. the time.
1: And, and just uh you know style. What was at? Or what was Denny you know biggest thing as our offensive coordinator? Like the one thing he harped on more than anything else was to attack and make contact as a Dodger. And when he said make contact, it was like you know. Get into your guy yeah. like hard. <laughs> and I'd always be like, Ryan, like you and AT like came up with, you know, that was your thing. You guys are both enormous. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. not have anybody. <laughs> like, I don't disagree. Like you should, you should initiate contact as a yeah. dodger, but I mean
0: it's it's a little different when you're 240. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only person that we had that could have pulled that off was maybe yeah. <laughs> Moscow. We got a little guy and he's like, big hey, contact. <laughs> it's like Pat Tracy is 150 pounds. Like, all right. I think Moscow Uh, is the only one that could have, could have taken one of those AT hits. Honestly, we'll be back after a word from our sponsor. (laughs) He's The thickest guy out there, but uh, that's, that's that's awesome. Uh, So you, if anybody follows you and if they don't follow you, that they should, because I think some underrated posts for sure, but you're big into traveling, cooking, And more so with the traveling, you're, you're a bit of an explorer. Have you climbed some pretty prestigious mountains? If I'm not, I don't know about prestigious.
1: I wasn't into, I used to climb, I don't climb Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, But I, I did when I was younger and um, I I wasn't trying to climb like famous mountains that everybody had heard of. I I like to be kind of out where people aren't and doing some kind of cool routes. I did the climbing I did was like mixed Alpine stuff. So um, I wasn't a very good rock climber. I'm too thick for that. Uh, I was a, I was a trudger. So I did, I did ice, rock, mixed like glacier travel stuff, and, um, and yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, I miss it. I miss that. I miss the teamwork aspect of it. I miss the focus. There's nothing I've done, and I think you know, short of like military combat experience, there's not many things that, that focus you the way that does. Um, but it's, uh, I miss it but i still you know i love the outdoors we just bought a place out in oregon and uh, mm-hmm. then we'll go back and forth to and may eventually move to and we're you know as, as much as we can get to the mountains now even though i'm not climbing them i'm you know we're skiing hiking camping doing anything we can in them, absolutely I mean, that's they're... that's my if i hadn't gone the path i had and could go back and kind of redo life i would have been a dirtbag climbing instructor living in a van and i would have
0: been, <laughs> been so happy
2: yeah. You would have been yeah, you would have been into the woods, but yeah, not with that,
0: not with that ending. No, I hope not. No. I mean, there's a reason why your email is JP Summit, right? Because let's just kinda of, you know.
1: yeah, Summit 41 is my, my I was number 41 in every sport I ever played. And uh and Summit, yeah, yep.
0: And then yeah. as far as traveling so I mean, goes, of, oh, oh go sorry, no, no. I no, was go just ahead, gonna man. say you, you I know you do the yearly trip to Hawaii and there, and you're just you you love to travel from what I understand, what I remember. Yeah.
1: We uh we, we have just been really fortunate. I grew up in a family that, that traveled a fair amount and, and then that bug stuck. And my wife and I have been married 25 years this summer, Lisa, and and we um, we didn't have our daughter until 15 years into our marriage. So those first 15 years that just afforded us a lot more time to explore. So we would get overseas, you know, three, four times a year aside from work stuff. Work stuff would take us all over the place too, but you know, we'd, we'd have a long weekend and we'd shoot to Paris or Venice or somewhere. Or we'd have a vacation and we'd be hiking in Switzerland or touring around in Italy or whatever, right? So um, that was that was what we did all the time. And that, I miss it. We cut way back once we had our daughter. She's mm-hmm. now getting, she's nine now. So she's getting old enough to start doing some of that. And obviously COVID shut us down, but we'll be back into it pretty so soon. So
2: what's your favorite place that you've been? New Zealand. Your, what's your favorite okay yeah. what's what's yeah. the one place that you
1: haven't been that you're dying to go i mean there's a ton of them but norway has been on the top of the list for a long time
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'd love to get to norway I, lo- I love the the landscape and the and the um some of the history there so norway is there but i think i've been to about 50 countries so I've, I've ticked a lot off the list um and then some i mean the, the country i've been to the most is japan because i've been coaching there for 25 years so I've been there over twenty times, and how did that all come? Say
0: perfect segue. Yeah,
1: perfect segue, because you know I
2: know uh, we had one of your friends on not too long ago.
1: Um, yeah, Udo.
2: Udo, great Udo. guy. He was, he, oh
0: man, that was he incredible. He was amazing.
2: He it was it was so awesome talking to him a little bit. He was the and, best, and yeah. and I don't
1: know if Udo. I don't know how much he would brag on himself, but he's very likely to eventually be their national team coach, and uh, he is a really good coach really good
0: it doesn't surprise me i mean he said how involved he was but he is very humble he doesn't talk a lot about himself so much it was all about yep. and even like when i asked him for the interviews like let me double check with the national association if that's okay and i was like yeah that's you, that i mean that's so that's proper. japan yeah that's that that's so japanese
1: proper. right so so that's not just him but but yes he is and he's such a good dude um i so the University of Tokyo is the second oldest lacrosse college, lacrosse program there behind KO, which is the one that most people have heard of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and it's their top academic school in Japan. It's like their Ivy Leagues all wrapped into one. Um, it's uh, so Ron Hebert, who was the a longtime Michigan legend coach that you know of and mm-hmm. anybody here knows of who coached, you know, Cranbrook, Brother Rice to state championships, coached all over high schools, coached. Northwood University when they were Division II varsity. Um, Ron had a relationship that I think started through Dave Morrow when Dave was getting uh, Warrior established in Japan. And uh, Ron was introduced to the Tokyo guys and and started doing basically what I was doing. They would bring them over once a year to work with their team, and he would host some of their players at Northwood that would come in and and practice with his guys and and learn what they could and then take it back. Because their teams there are very club-like, right? They're they're student-run. They might be coached, but they're They're, student-run. They're like the MCLA. And, uh, and then when the Northwood program got cut, he couldn't do it anymore. So he asked me to take over and, uh, Ron did. And so I did, and it just, it lasted, you know, for a long, long time. Once we went D one, I couldn't host their players anymore because division one rules don't allow them to come in and practice with you. When we were MCLA, they would come live with our guys for three weeks, you know, like six of their players and practice with us in the middle of the season and uh, travel with us to games and and everything and our guys you can imagine a bunch of knucklehead college guys absolutely loved hosting a bunch of (laughs) Japanese guys for three weeks so it was uh, it was awesome it was and and I I, you know they feel like another one of my teams Um, I've gotten to know so many of them and it's gotten to the point you know having a 25-year relationship with them a lot of the guys that I started working with over there are now, you know, have kids and, and, you know, businesses and their kids are getting older and are starting to play lacrosse. And, and, you know, it's, it's really cool. The same as the programs that I've had here to have those relationships and and see them evolve.
0: Yeah. I I think what's, what's really cool about that is like you said, I can't think of a better three week, like exchange pro, even though there's no exchange, but what, what, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. I'll go play lacrosse anywhere for three weeks in the world and just like live with a team. And and I think that's just the coolest experience anybody could ever ask for.
1: Yeah. And they they'd send they'd send some they we had we got a few that were so they all start playing in college, but their top guys are really good. I mean, their national team is top five in the in the world. And that's all with guys who didn't play in high school. And uh and it's so we get every once in a while one that could you know, absolutely play with us, like absolutely, maybe a couple that would even start for us. Um, most of them weren't very good, but they all came with this unbelievable enthusiasm to learn. Of course, our guys just wanted to corrupt them and show them what American college <laughs> life was like. Yeah. But, uh, but they, they, I remember the first year, you know, they had old video cameras and they were videotaping like every word I ever said. And they had this notebook that they'd write notes on everything that we did. And they'd want meetings with me every day. And they'd want, you know, practice time every day and they just they just wanted to work and these notebooks had this notebook had all this japanese writing all over it so what does all that say what is that and they're like oh this is notes from our teammates and it's saying you know be diligent and bring honor to our program and they were so serious right it's like I'm like ah that's funny Does any of it say like you know something really stupid like our guys are right. great on yeah, it yeah. You know? yeah oh yeah no.
0: well i mean it all kind of makes sense. <laughs> this
1: is, we must bring honor to our program and
0: really learn to get better. Like, okay. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. I guess, you know, you, you pay for three weeks in so America. Awesome. You you better take advantage full advantage of it. Bring back notes. Bring back videos. Like, yep. bring back a way to share that other than just by telling the stories. But that's that's so cool. I can't. You know, maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll get to Japan and play. Um, they have a really good league, too. The college league over there is, like, high quality in terms of it's hard to compare to you know we don't know how it compares but like in terms of production and fans and uniforms and officiating like
1: it's mm-hmm. a legit league so that's changed a lot in the years that I was going over it wasn't that you know lacrosse is like 40 45 years old over there mm-hmm. um and it, it when i first started going it was there was a third in the number of college teams that there are now and it wasn't that way. Teams didn't all have matching uniforms. The Tokyo team, half the guys would be wearing Michigan stuff because it's all the stuff we give them when they came to Michigan or the guys who give them or whatever. And so uh, now all the teams are decked out. And you're right. The, the, the big games are in these stadiums that are equivalent of, of like, uh, you know, really nice lacrosse stadium. And they might have three or four thousand fans there and cheerleaders and a band and the whole thing. It's legit. It's pretty cool
0: yeah i i think i gotta add that to the to the lacrosse bucket list ryan get to japan and just taking a couple games
2: yeah see the culture i mean it's it's, right after i coach a clinic in
0: germany that's that's on my list too um so rounding all the way back to the beginning of the show when we're talking about d1 expansion i mean i i have ryan has a good bit of experience with this and just inside knowledge i do as well not as much as you do obviously so what are some of the misconceptions that people have about what it takes to go D one? Because everybody always jokes about which club might go D one, which school should go D one, but it, they just don't really understand what it all takes. It's not that easy.
1: Anybody goes to my Twitter, I actually have a posted thread on this. I've yep. read it multiple times. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and that's only scratching the surface, but it gives a, a pretty good quick overview of some of the hurdles that you might face. That's not all of them, um, but it's, I think what people don't realize, a few things. One, our sport is still a tiny, tiny niche sport, tiny in the whole scheme of American sports. There are people in America, many of them who have never heard of lacrosse, still don't even know it exists. And there are a ton of people who don't care at all about it. And there are a lot of people who are very, have a very negative attitude about it, right? Because we're the, the rich, spoiled white kid sport. So, um, which actually is an impediment to growth even more now. And, uh, and so it's, it's, we're not, when we say, oh, we're growing and we have all this stuff going on, like they should add, why should they add? Why should UCLA add lacrosse? And then you start, it doesn't bring anything to them. doesn't give them anything. A D3 school, that's a different thing because D3 schools, they're every lacrosse player coming in is more tuition money. Maybe they're looking to increase enrollment and that's just built in 30 guys that they couldn't have gotten. Otherwise, maybe they're looking to change their demographic at the school. You have 1500 students and you had 30 from a certain area of the country and it's changing things at the school. You know, maybe they, uh, it, it's just, it, 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 it's a completely different. They're only spending a hundred grand on the team and they're bringing in, you know, a million in, in tuition. That's a net pretty big gain. So You know that's it's a completely different model even at small division one schools without football it's a different model similar to that at the big football schools lacrosse brings nothing to the table there's not one single i don't know you might find a couple things but there's very little that lacrosse brings that an ad is going to be or the school is going to be like yeah we should have that that's really going to be good for our school they just don't need it they have all of that they need with their football and maybe their basketball programs and at some schools in the south probably their baseball programs and, and it, it just, it, that, that need to add it, it's not on their radar to do. Um, and then there's so many hurdles to do it. And I would say this, like, let's take COVID out of the picture. And COVID right now, obviously, has decimated a lot of budgets. So uh, I'm still not, we're lucky so far in Division Lacrosse, lucky, you know, in a, in a bad way that we lost the Furman program. But that's the only one so far that was a direct COVID-related loss. We're not out of the woods in this yet because departments are just coming out of this year figuring out what their budgets just did. So, you know, those decisions probably are still going to be made. Um, but I'm hopeful that we don't have more programs cut. Uh, but even without that, most athletic departments lose money. Lacrosse loses money at every single school in the country. Why are you going to add it? Doesn't bring any money And That's one. That's number one. Doesn't bring you any money. Two. There's an arms race going on. You saw it at Michigan. It's still going on there. It's going on everywhere. Rutgers, they're just talking about it in their broadcast. They're building new facilities for their sports. ADs are now under pressure to build amazing facilities for their non-revenue sports. That pressure did not exist 20 years ago. Now it does. So now you got to spend millions and millions of dollars for all your non-revenue sports that aren't making you money anyway, just to compete. So I'm I'm AD at at Kansas, and I say, you know what, I'm going to add men's and women's lacrosse. Soon as I say that, the track coach is knocking on my door going, what are you doing? You've been promising me a new track facility so that I can compete with Nebraska for 15 years. You can't add lacrosse and then the swim coach and then whoever else, right? Like you can't do this. We, we all need, you know, these facilities that you haven't given us yet, or this support that you haven't given us yet, or this new academic center or or more training staff or sports, uh, you know, or more weight room staff, whatever. So they they budget wise they just can't do it and then the other big misconception is the ad's get to make this decision they don't they don't operate in a vacuum our ad dave brandon had to convince the entire university leadership that this was a good thing and many of them did not think it was a good thing so he had to wheel and deal and and convince people that you know there was a there was reasoning behind what he wanted to do and you know admissions now we got to admit men's and women's across you know 65 70 athletes that maybe aren't qualified to come to michigan which means we're taking 60 70 spots away from qualified applicants housing now we got to house all these athletes in the dorms that we generally house athletes and kick other students out when they're freshmen uh academics what are these kids all going to major in do we have enough classes to support them you know the list goes on and on not to mention the people in the university who are like why are we going to add a bunch of uh elitist, snobby, white kids who party too much. What is our purpose of adding this? That was a real thing. That was probably the biggest last hurdle we had to get over. And
0: so what what was the sticking point for Dave where he could kind of turn some people in the right direction?
1: Dave is a really, I mean, you know, he's CEO of a bunch of companies, he's a really good negotiator and a really good salesman. And I don't know if he had to make some deals behind the scenes, like I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. I don't know if that happened. I do know that kind of the the walls came down one at a time. Like he had to work with these people and then these people and then this person. And there was one in particular, I'm not going to say who it was, but one in particular senior administrator at the university. He's not here anymore. Who was like the last big hurdle. And he kept throwing roadblocks up (laughs) left and right. Dave would call me. Dave did a lot of his work like at midnight and one in the morning. So I'd get a phone call at like 1230 for him venting about this guy. Like, you know, I don't know if we're going to get this done, this. Blah, 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 all this foul language coming out i don't know if this is going to happen and uh and that you know but he did he, he got it done credit to him
0: do you think in the case of like a utah that having this one massive donor grease a lot of i mean again that doesn't get it done by itself right We've we've talked about that but do you think having that kind of support from the from the start of the idea helps kind of show everybody like, hey, you know, we're not alone in this. We have some money behind this. We have people that support this. And even Utah had to jump through a bunch of hoops, but there were, there's were a little bit more public about what they needed to do to get to the varsity level.
1: Yeah. And there's some non-public stuff there too. That family tried to do the same thing for their son at another school. And that school said no. So even a billionaire coming to that school and saying, I will pay for this. And that school said, nope, (laughs) we're not doing it. So I've
2: heard uh, that happen at multiple schools where the school is just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter.
1: Yes, no. absolutely. Because of a lot of those reasons I said, why am I going to go through all this pain to try and get this done for no payoff at the end? And, and when I'm already good and, and these ADs at football schools, all they need is the football program to stay clean and win. That's it. Right. And they're mm-hmm. good. They can keep their job. So that's what they're trying to do. And everything else is like, all right, I'll take care of this, but I don't want to add to it. <laughs> you know, That's the last thing I want to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's I've often said that, you know, the way we did it was unique. And a lot of that was because of the program that we built and as a club and then Dave. Um, If it was going to happen other places, the most likely way was the way it happened at Utah. And I said that from the start, that it's going to take an incredibly wealthy billionaire level donor, um, the kind of person who can have the president on speed dial and president school picks it up. Right. It's got to take that kind of person who is driven to get it done at that school for whatever reason, sun playing, which is what happened at Utah or, or passion for the, for lacrosse at that school, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then even then, that's not a guarantee. So there we go. So far, that's, what's happened. If there are other routes, great. I mean, I'm sure it's been talked about in the PAC 12, for example, I'm sure at their conference level, it's been mentioned, um, for men's lacrosse, you know, it all exists for women. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, You know, it's talking about it is not the same as doing it. And the conference really has no say in that. A conference commissioner can't come to a school and say, you need to add lacrosse. That's an individual school decision, period.
0: Do you think, and this is purely speculative, do you think it's more likely that we get another Power Five team before we get another five mid major teams? No, mid majors. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I thought you might say.
1: But again, with the caveat that I don't know what COVID has done.
0: True, true.
1: To budgets in the short term to, to get this stuff done. I mean, everybody's going to be hurting. Everybody's going to be hurting yeah. for a while.
0: Yeah, I think to your point, as far as power fives go, it's going to take, I think every single situation will be extremely unique to itself because yeah, there's there's no like one size fits all plan.
1: There's another part to this too that I talk about a lot that, you know, college sports in as a whole, especially at the major major power five level is coming to its day of reckoning where and this has been coming for 20 years but it's coming and and college sports is going to change fundamentally fundamentally college sports what we see now is not going to look like this at all 20 or 30 years from now it might happen in five years but it's going to happen and it's the legal challenges to, you know, student athlete rights, it's paying athletes. It's, it's so many of those things that it's budget constraints. It's, it's academic side starting to push back in the excesses of football. You know, all of that is coming to a head. And when it does where that leaves non-rep sports, all of them, lacrosse included, I don't know. And, and, you know, there was a long time, you know, 40 year administrator at Michigan athletics, Bruce Motti. Mm-hmm. And Bruce would always tell me when we were club, this is before we ever thought we were going to be varsity, but we were building this program. He was like, you're doing it the right way. You're going to outlast all of us. That This was, you know, 15 years ago saying, you just build these facilities, get your endowment, build this club program the way that you want to build it. We'll all be gone in 20, 30 years and you'll still be here.
0: Yeah. And, and for those of you that aren't super aware, because we have a, a little bit of a younger listener base, but the NCAA itself is kind of, in peril if you will as an organization because there's like you said there's there's all the new legislation coming through and there's a chance that a lot of the the revenue sports may break off and do their own thing which it could make a lot of sense for a university to just split that up and then yeah you get to pay those athletes because they're in a different bubble because their sports make money but what a lot of people don't understand is a lot of football programs still don't make money most of them don't that's right, and even then,
1: you know, I don't know that what you said will work because mm-hmm. Title IX is not an NCAA thing.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. Right. That's a that's yep, federal that's, legislation. That's federal it has legislation. nothing to do with the NCAA. Yeah,
1: that's why women's yep. lacrosse
0: is so poised for a a quicker expansion because yeah, that's there's that's so a, many roster spots to make up for football.
1: Yep, and you know, I have a daughter. And I love the opportunities that Title IX provided. It's absolutely mm. necessary, and it's it's done some amazing things. And it's not just about sports. It's sports is a little tiny subset of what Title IX is. It's another thing that people don't understand. They think it's an NCAA thing, and they think right. it's yeah. all about sports. It's neither. It's a federal yeah. thing. and it has nothing to do with sports except a little bit of it. But we know it because of the effect on sports, and um, and it matters to us because of that effect on sports. And that's also going to continue to be a challenge for athletic departments as as resources become tighter or as football gets taken out of the equation, if you pay them, I don't know that that'll cross off those title nine challenges. Like, all right, mm-hmm. now you got to pay the same number of women. Yeah.
0: So. Well, sports are a microcosm of society. And I don't know the quote perfectly, but I'm sure you do JP, that sports are like uh, the benefit of a, a well-functioning society, something yeah. to, to that end. So, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, title nine, the growth of women's lacrosse, the growth of of just women in sports in general, it, it's all again. Uh, I don't, you don't even know this, JP. I'm having a daughter in two months, so congrats, man. Uh, and gr- and Ryan's also a girl dad, so yep. uh, here we are, all thinking about coaching women's lacrosse. One, you're about guy, to find out that
1: bond. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to switch.
0: I'm, I'm ready to dive full into women's lacrosse, so I can coach my daughter someday. It's uh, it's like nothing you'll ever experience, man. Nope. Well, I know like, you coached D3 ones last no, year. You know, I, I think
2: I'm dodging <laughs> that bullet. It, yeah, I did. And it's all, it's
1: all, but it's all volleyball in my house now. Yeah, we're all, we're all dance and theater and stuff, but she's getting into tennis now. So that's good. We're getting a little sports going.
0: Well, if you need a good tennis school, we've got a few state championships on this side of town.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see. We might be, we might be out in Oregon by the time she's. Well, there you go. That, I mean, that's listen,
0: it. Are you moving? Yeah. Is that the Eugene area that you're going to be near? Or... Uh, ben. So we bought a place. Oh, in okay. Bend.
1: And cool. uh, Love Bend, it's an amazing place. Um, it's on the other side of the mountain, so it has winter, like real winter, not rainy winter. Mm-hmm. And but a lot of sun. It's three hundred plus days of sun. It's a really cool town. So, yeah, we're gonna try it on for a few years here and stay. You know, we'll have our place in Ann Arbor It'll be, I mean, spot for now. But we'll uh, we'll go back and forth some and see if we want. And then eventually, if we like it, we'll build out there.
0: Is nice. the Mrs. Retired right now, or close. a couple more years?
1: No, not even. She, okay. She's close though, and and uh, she's always been the brains and the and the successful part of the outfit. I just do my hobby, but she was the <laughs> you know four O engineering student at Michigan and mm-hmm. MBA at Michigan and super tech executive person. And I always my guys would come in sometimes and be like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what to you know career <laughs> whatever. I'd be like, you got a girlfriend? Yeah. Where'd you meet her? rick's rick's being the you know yep. bars. Like, you're an idiot yeah. we have one of the top business schools and engineering schools in the country why are
0: you not meeting your girlfriend there yeah that's she a fair, fair point yeah.
2: that's a fair beater point <laughs> uh always got always got to go always got to try and out kick your cover. That's, it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: that's it i did
0: yeah well i can yeah He he's so he, he's done very well uh and final question for you coach you know outside of being father husband cook, at home teacher, all that stuff. How are you able to scratch your lacrosse itch? Because I know it's there.
1: It is. It's not there as much as I thought it'd be. This is the, this year has been the first time since high school that I haven't been deeply involved in lacrosse in some capacity. And I'll be honest with you right now, I haven't missed that kind of depth of involvement much. I'm doing, you know, I talk to a lot of lacrosse people. I, I watch it all the time. I'm working on a couple little projects. Um, really cool one right now with the Anishababi. Anishinaabe. Yes, um, I heard
0: you were involved in that.
1: Yeah, the Anishinaabe is the, the Native Americans in, that are mostly based in the Midwest, and they have their own lacrosse tradition, separate mm-hmm. from the Six Nations Iroquois tradition that we all know about. And, uh, and so I've been working with them a little bit just, just to kind of help them get some things going. Um, They have a junior national team now that Mm -hmm. will play in the next junior worlds and are working towards, you know, putting together a senior national team of their own Uh, and then youth programs in a lot of their communities, which span all over the Midwest, Canada and and Northern U.S. So, um, so that's been, you know, that's been cool, but it it hasn't been a ton of work and yet, Um, but, you know, not a ton right now, Nick, and and it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know how much I, ha- I do have so many other things i love to do mm-hmm. and i don't know how deeply unless the right thing comes up i don't know how deeply i want to get back into i thought the PLL would scratch that itch and in some ways it did in other ways it took me away from a lot of the stuff that i really want to be doing now which like summer in the mountains i was summer in every city in america right. so yeah. uh and and so you know we'll see we'll see where this goes
0: well, you know, we have a brand new turf field over on the west side, so you're always, or on the east side, so you're always welcome to stop by a practice coach.
1: I, uh, I would love to. I mean, I, that, that kind of stuff I love doing, and, and I was joking with a buddy, a really good buddy of mine who was a longtime college coach, and, and he's in Portland, and he wants to move to Bend, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were joking like we should both move to Bend and just find one of the high schools and be their assistant coaches, <laughs> and that would be so
0: much fun. <laughs> that would be really cool. That would be yeah. really cool.
2: But that's what that's what a lot of the a lot's what a lot of these coaches are doing. Like um, you know, like uh Coach Kuzo, the longtime Ward Melville coach, right? Yeah, amazing. He, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he I think he still is the all time winningest coach in, in in high school history. But he you know le- you know he leaves Ward Melville, he goes over to Mount Sinai, wins another state championship, retires, and then like he just like showed up in like Key West and was was coaching a team in Key West.
1: Like yeah, I was out about did. a couple summers ago and saw you know Jack Kaylee was doing some club coaching. oh my God, that, right. those sto- oh man. I have a lot of I'm, Jack Kayley stories. I'm surprised.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm surprised he's not still showing up to Candy Egg Park with scholarship yeah,
1: paperwork in his pocket. I have, pocket I have so kids. many K- Kaylee stories. Uh, I was I was roommates with Kaylee at some uh, events sometimes. Papa Kaley, Kaley hanging around in my in my room with me in his tidy whiteies. Let me uh, tell you, you've heard, I've heard that story before. With,
2: <laughs> Papa Bear with his glasses. Oh, I've heard some stories about that guy. Oh man. <laughs> because
0: Kenny's really connected with him too. Right.
1: Oh yeah. Kenny's, you know, Kenny's best buddy is Adam Hopkins mm-hmm. and he and hop were, were great players together at New York tech for Kaylee and, and both those guys do unbelievable Kaylee impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Oh, if, if anybody, if anybody listening to this, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't know who Jack Kaylee is, he's an absolute lacrosse legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, if you ever have an opportunity to cross paths with that guy and just sit down and talk about lacrosse, do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I that, want
0: to, too, because he was super so, involved with Germany and, for a long time.
1: Yeah, he, yeah, was, he was, right. He, he coached was. their program. And, you know, we when, when we were winning national championships at the MCLA level uh, test, a lot of that was Kenny coming over and coaching with us for those four years. And Kenny brought um, Jack's 10 yep. man ride. And that 10 man has become a big part of my coaching uh and it was jacks i mean we, we altered it some but it was jacks 10 man and then he also brought the backer zone which was jacks mm-hmm. um and we didn't run that as our main defense at michigan but we ran it we, we did use it sometimes and those both came with kenny from jack
2: i we i remember i remember doing riding and clearing for about th- two or three hours a day at adelphi during tech week
1: because yeah. i mean if you if you couldn't beat if you couldn't break their 10 man ride it was going to be a long day 10 man ride and, and ground balls, those guys, the way they got they, you know, he had his whole swarm ground balls guys thing. Oh. So there were and always six guys around the ball.
2: Oh, it's full tilt stick work, man. Yeah. If you, and if you, if you weren't, if he didn't think you were going fast enough, you had 50 seconds to run around the field. And if you
1: didn't do it, just keep going.
2: That's it. That guy. It, it, oh, he's a
1: Legend. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother one. You guys should get um, Kenny and hop on together sometime and have him tell Kaylee stories.
0: It's on my list to get Kenny on, but he's so busy right now. You know, he is. I mean, get him him after the season. Yeah, for sure.
1: Have him do Kaylee stories because he's got some unbelievable ones. You've probably heard some of them. I've
0: heard the impression at least, and I've heard the underwear story. But uh, Coach, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. You know. Going back a little bit into the Michigan stuff and, and just talking expansion. Also, I wanted to just give a, a special shout out to Coach Ed Maloney, who's going through some health issues from Siena Heights. Another longtime Michigan legend. So, Great hope, hope hope you're doing all right, Ed. And uh, Coach, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Great to see you guys. Yeah, hey, have a good one, Coach.
2: Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Off Sides.